Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. All right, stand up with me. Welcome all of you watching online. We pray that you're having a great day. We're going to have one here. We have been. It's going to be awesome. Hold your Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome again, all of our online audience, and uh, so grateful that you've chosen to watch either live or podcast, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're watching from. Stick this thing out. It's going to be really, really good today. We're talking about maturing in our faith, and uh, today I'm going to share four brief Bible stories that will help us understand that we all come uh, to life and, and come at life in different directions, from different directions, and, and, and with different issues. And when we're maturing, uh, we're okay with that. We understand that we're, we're, we haven't arrived. We won't arrive uh, until Jesus comes back. And when he arrives, then we will arrive with him. And it says that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day he returns, until the day of Christ Jesus. So there are some pointers that, that I'm going to be addressing today that might help us uh, along that pathway. Uh, number one, I'm going to be talking about people who are in denial. We'll call them deniers. I'm not sure that's a word, but we're going to use it today. Um, people who have live in denial that, that things maybe aren't as bad as you think or a habit's not as bad as you might believe it is to be, and then, and then you, you deny, even to the extreme, deny Christ's uh, participation in your life, in your issue, in your addiction, whatever it might be, uh, your pride, whatever it is. And uh, we'll have a story about that, which because a lot of people really do live in denial, and, and it's, it's pretty common. Now, the second type person is really rare, and I've only seen it on occasion, and it's really kind of something that's interesting to me that Hollywood has picked up on it, but the church has kind of left it out, is the demon-possessed. Now, nobody likes to talk about it because it, it, it has to do with demons, but people pay big money every year to go see horror movies produced by Hollywood that really are taken from uh, maybe some stories that they had read in the Bible. I don't know how many of you read the Bible, but there are some pretty bizarre stories in there, and that they actually happened. And so <clears throat> the demon-possessed, people who are, if you will, let me, let me soften this for previous Presbyterians and Baptists, um, people that are influenced by spirits of darkness, okay? Maybe not possessed, but oppressed or influenced by uh, the, the spirits of darkness. And those, we open ourselves up to these things. And, and, uh, and again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to use it today because I, I've seen this, and it's, it's really a, a very difficult thing. Addiction, not addictions like, you know, common addictions, but, but the, the devil does come to steal, kill, and destroy. It's what the Bible says. So, uh, and then there is the person that's defiant. In other words, they're, they're that person that just refuses 
to, uh, to follow any rules at all, it, but for sure they're not going to follow biblical uh, rules. And uh, these are the people that are just they're defiant about, you know, life and things, and they don't want to change, and they don't want you to tell them anything good about changing, and they just resist all the time. And they're going to live their way, and, and that's the way it's going to be. But we know that Jesus came. He bought us with the price of his own life, and uh, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. And so, and so when I say defiant, it may not be a, a mean, obvious, you're not mean to people, but you have a resistance to the process of God and God's involvement in your life. And it, it's one thing to know that Jesus was and is and will forever be the Son of God, but, but that doesn't always mean your people are saved. Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, my next question would be, have you accepted him and made him Lord of your life? There are a lot of people who believe in him. He even says that. There are a lot of people that believe, and then and the day will come when they, he said, depart from me, I never knew you, because they didn't make him Lord of their life. So if we want to overcome some of these things and mature in our process on earth, these are some ways that, that we can be aware, okay? I, I'm, I'm in denial maybe or I'm in defiance. I'm, you know, there's so many different things that block the process of God. Now, he's almighty, all-powerful, but we must submit and surrender to that power and authority. And then the last one, which I think probably makes up at least the majority of us, that you feel dismissed, that uh, you've done so many things in your life that you know, people just dismiss anything you say. They dismiss you as a person. And that's a horrible feeling to feel like that uh, you, have, you have no influence at all and that you have you, you, people just look at you and they don't even see you when you walk into the room. And I know many of us have felt that. And so today we'll, we'll talk about that and what, what Jesus, uh, how he addresses that. So first we're going to talk about the denier. And uh, it's an interesting, as I was studying, I went back, and I don't do this a whole lot because I don't really feel like most people care what the Greek or Hebrew says. But I did go back and do a study in, in the original language on the scripture I'm about to read to you. So I don't want you to miss this. Because in our society, uh, one word, actually in any society, one word can change the entire structure of a sentence and possibly a paragraph. So we need to be very careful with our words. A lot of people say, this is what I want from God, but they say the opposite of what they want. So whatever you want from God, your mouth needs to say, this is God, I believe this is going to happen. Our words are absolutely critical. And so I always tell people, I, some people get mad at me because I, I will pick apart a word. If you say the wrong thing, I'm not trying to correct you as a person, but I want you to have everything God has for you. And so some people just have a negative twist to their life. Everything's negative. It's, everything's going to be worse than we thought it was instead of it's going to be better than we thought it was. And so when I pick apart this passage of Scripture I'm about to read to you, Jesus is having a conversation with the Apostle Peter. Now, if any of you have ever read the Red, the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus did not go to Harvard and Yale to get his disciples. He, did, he didn't go to Regents University. He didn't go to Jerry Falwell's School of Theology. Jesus didn't do it. These, these guys were a piece of work. And I think he did that for a reason, and I honor that reason because, you know, most of us are just like these disciples. We're just trying to figure it out and trust him. And so he's having a conversation with the Apostle Peter. Now, you have to remember, Peter is the one who denied him, knowing him three times. Okay, so three times Peter denies him. Then there's another story when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives praying, and he goes to the three disciples and says, you know, 
pray with me, that he goes away to pray, comes back. Three times, he catches him sleeping. I wish he would have said snoring. It would have made the whole story a lot more interesting. But, but he finds them sleeping. So now three times, it says he comes, and three times he says, could you not tarry one hour? Could you not just stay awake? Could you not just support me? Could you not just be a part of me? And, and, and then now here we come to this story where Jesus is having a conversation with the apostle Peter. He's going to leave, and he's basically at this point commissioning Peter. Now, in the original language, the name Peter was Petros, which meant a piece of the rock. There was a contemporary Christian band called Petra, which was Petra means a large rock, like the rock of Gibraltar. So when Jesus has an encounter with Peter, he's, he's commissioning Peter here, okay? So in uh, John chapter 21, verse 15, this is how the Amplified Bible, so it kind of spells it out. When they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, or son of Jonas in one translation, do you love me more than these others do with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father? Now, the word love in the original language there is agape or agapeo, which means this is a God kind of love. So when I start talking about words having meanings, in the Greek language, those, they, they, the word love was very specific. In our culture, it's not. You could say, man, I, I, I love you, man. And you have to do that if you're talking to a guy to a guy. I love you, man. Uh, you know, and then fist bump or chest bump, something. And uh, so, it, it, you know, in other words, that word would be phileo, which in the, is, is uh, we're a friend. That, that's what it meant, okay? Agape meant a God kind of love. A love that was so great that Jesus himself represented this kind of love when he laid his life down for us. You know, I mean... You know, I, there are people that you love more than other people, and unless you're just really strange and godly. I mean, there are some people I would give my life for, and others I'd go, man, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> I'm just being honest. You know, I'm, I'm not jumping in front of a bus for everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I probably should, but I'm more phileo than agape when it comes to dying. And so... <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I'm just being honest, okay? Keep it real here. Because so, some of you, he's a preacher. I just love us all the same. No, I really don't. Anyway, so um, <laughs> it, it's not because I don't love you. Like I just don't know you. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not Jesus. I mean, he knows you. knows everything good and bad about you. He still loves you anyway. And so then there's Eros. It was kind of a sexual kind of love, a, a relational love. And so when, when in this language, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, man, I, I phileo you, you knew they were saying, he's my friend. And, and, but if somebody came up to you and said, I agape you, that means they love you like the, with the love of God. That, that it's a love that is, is going to stand for you and with you. And this is, so Jesus is trying to get to the apostle Peter here. So he's using these two different words in the Greek language when he says, do you, in this first encounter with Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? So Peter hears the first question. He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you. And this is where Peter says, I love you, which is he's saying, I phileo you. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? But Peter says, I phileo you. I, I love you like a friend instinctively. 
And, and Jesus is really working him here because he has a plan for Peter after he's gone. Here's what he wants Peter to do. So he's trying to draw Peter in to a deeper love, a deeper love than just a love of a friend. He said, I want you to have a God kind of love. And so, and, and so Peter goes on and, say, and Jesus says, as for a close friend, he said to him, feed my lambs. So this is a challenging word. This word feed is to keep. In the, Jesus is saying, so do you agape me? If you agape me, then I want you to keep watch over my sheep. I want you to keep. I don't want you just to tend to them. I want you to keep watch over them. I want you to be willing to step in front of the lion that's trying to take out one of the sheep, one of the lambs. I want you to lay your life down. Peter doesn't get it. Peter's responding, Jesus said, do you agape? And he says, Jesus, you know I, I phileo you. Jesus said, well, then, then I, want you to, I want you to keep. I want you to not just feed and tend. I want you to keep my sheep. I want you to love them the way I, I love you. Verse 16, again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Only this time, Jesus is trying to connect, and he uses the word phileo. Do you love me like a friend? And Jesus, and, and this is the question, and he says, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Because Peter had already responded in the first time, you know I phileo you. And he says to him, shepherd my sheep. So Jesus adjusts that second one from keep to shepherd. In other words, pastor, watch out. So he's saying, Peter, please just grasp this for a minute. If you can't keep them and you can't protect them, would you at least shepherd them? That, that instead of would you feed them, would you shepherd them? So Jesus is shifting, trying to draw Peter into a conversation and understand the depth of love that he's talking about. And so now here it says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love or phileo me? Peter was grieved that he should ask him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. So Peter's still not getting the agape thing. And he says, you, uh, he said, Jesus said to him, feed, comes back with the word, keep my sheep. So two out of three times, Jesus challenges Peter, who is in denial, has denied him, denied him the time for prayer three times, and now all of a sudden, Jesus, here we go three times again, trying to get Peter to understand this specific word. What I'm challenging us to do today is as we're maturing, please don't discount the words that come out of your mouth because you can never get them back. So when people say, I just don't think it's going to get better, I look and I say, it's got to get better because the Bible says we're going from glory to glory. Now, there may be a pause in your life for a moment. There may be a time when it doesn't look good. But you know what? You're not helping yourself. You're not helping anybody else to talk about how bad things are. We've got, we got to understand that we have the opportunity to shift things with our words. The Bible says you can speak to the mountain and say, be moved from here to there, and the mountain will move. Now, it may not be a physical mountain, but metaphorically speaking, there are mountains. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your company. Maybe it's your spouse. May, I, 
I don't know what it's going to take for you to have a turning point, but in this moment, Peter has a turning point. How do I know that? Because in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1, through verse 40, the apostle Peter, we see it as the written, we call it the Bible, but it's really a sermon inside the Bible, which there were a lot of those, like Sermon on the Mount. Peter gets to preach in Acts chapter 2. All the other disciples, they're, they're around, but God chooses Peter, who denied Jesus three times, falls asleep. Three, I've fallen asleep more times than Peter when I'm praying. I'm sure Jesus looked at Mark, could you not tarry 15 minutes? You know, you get up at 5 a.m. to pray, and, and you know, you're, you're slobbering sometimes. You wake up, and it's 7 o'clock, and you feel like you've been in the presence of God. You've been asleep. <laughs> and so Peter preaches, and it, the Bible says, listen to this. If you think you've done too much and that God cannot use you, all you got to do is read all of the accounts of the apostle Peter. I'm telling you, he makes me feel good. I'm going to heaven. There's no doubt. I, I mean, he makes it possible for me to believe because I haven't cut anybody's ear off. I, I mean, Peter did that. I mean, he was a mess. But he's the one that gets to preach. And the Bible says 3,000 people came in one day to believe in Jesus. Now, here's the deal. There, there's often something that creates a turning point for us. I don't know what your turning point was, but mine from about 16 to about almost 21, I, I, I was in bad shape. I, I, I just was not living a good life. My mother was a born-again saint. My dad was saved, and my brothers were saved, and I wasn't. And so finally, I had to come to this place in my life. Uh, I, I, was, I was doing drugs. I was most of the time... I just wasn't in my right mind. And my mother knew that. And, and, and unlike a lot of people, my mother never berated me. She never yelled at me. She just prayed for me, which was the worst thing she could do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When somebody starts praying for you, I mean, and that woman, man, she knew how to pray. And so I was between jobs, which was not unusual for somebody on drugs. I wouldn't even get a job today. They drug test. <laughs> I mean, you know, back then, if I, I think you get it. <laughs> so, so I, I, I was between jobs, and I had an aunt and uncle that were retired. He was a retired fighter pilot in the Air Force, and uh, was a real disciplinarian type guy. And he was retiring and moving uh, from Denver, Colorado. They had a cabin in Missoula, Montana, and so. Um, I was asked if I would fly. I had a, a CDL. I had a, a commercial license to drive big trucks, and I had, I had a lot of things. I drove bulldozers. It was so cool. When I was lost, I had some of the coolest things. I'd drive like caterpillars, you know, and stuff like that. It was dangerous. I was stupid to even let me on one. But, so, but, but they needed somebody to drive a truck uh, of furniture to Montana, and the roads were not all that great up in the mountains. So guess what? The guy that's lost and going to hell was the one that got selected. Uh, Saved people knew better than to get on a big truck on those, those roads. I just lost, you know. But so I, I, I go, I get the truck, uh, fly to Denver, I get the truck, drive it uh, to Missoula, Montana. And, and I had not been off of uh, substance um, like this, you know. I'm in the mountains. We're talking pure streams, Yule Gibbons, eating bark off trees, 
I don't know if you remember Ewell, but he was just a nature guy, you know. So I, I was not a nature guy. I was a city guy, drug guy, you know, all those things. And so I, I get up there, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going crazy, you know. I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. This is just too pure for me. So I said, you know, is there an airport near here? Well, Missoula, they were in Sealy Lake. Missoula, Montana was the nearest airport. And, and trust me, when I got there and saw the airplane that had been put together by the sixth grade class, uh, I got on this plane. I was like, wow, I hope this is going to work. <laughs> And so sure enough, get on this plane, leave Missoula, stop in Denver, and then and coming back to Oklahoma. I was living in Tulsa at the time. And when we were coming into Denver, and of course at the time I was pretty much a novice and didn't know a lot about flying and uh, since have become a student of this. But when you go over the mountains of Montana, or from Montana to Denver, the updrafts will often during certain times of year will really make the plane rock and roll. And I mean, this thing was rocking. And, you know, I was so lost. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> You know, thinking, whoa, cool. But, and it was one of those few times that you really wish you were on drugs. Uh, You know, it's like, because this is getting real right now, and I'm feeling it. And I'm sitting in this seat, and and literally, I hear this, like, voice inside me. And I know this sounds bizarre if you're from Nazarene background or something. But uh, my mother was full gospel, and I mean full of the gospel. And so... Uh, I, I've heard this voice say, if you died right now, if this plane goes down, where will you spend eternity? I didn't answer. And, of course, I wasn't talking out loud. It was an internal conversation. And, and so uh, it, that voice came again said, if you died right now, if this crashed, where would you go? And I, I knew at that point there was only one voice that would ask that question. <laughs> and I, I answered honestly in my soul. I said, well, if I died right now, I would go to hell. I said, and it wasn't because I was bad. It wasn't because of the drugs and all that, because that's what a lot of people think is my, our good works, but it's our refusal to accept his good work and putting faith in him that causes us to go to hell. You know, if you're on drugs, it, it just means your brain's going to be fried. And, you know, that kind of thing. So, because I don't want you to think, you know, well, I do drugs, and, you know, you're like going, oh, I'm a bad person. That's not what this is about. This is about putting your faith in Jesus because everyone in here today and everybody watching online, you're fighting something right now. You're fighting something in your life. Everybody is. Everybody's fighting something. And, and, and so you can judge somebody else because your fight's different than theirs, and they can judge you. But that's not what this is about. This is about understanding that we don't just know the name of Jesus, but we know him as Lord of our life. And so we finally land, and I, mean, I tell you, it was rough. Even the pilot came on and apologized. And when a pilot apologizes, that means he probably needs to go somewhere real quick. <laughs> and so uh, we take off, same thing happens. And that was July 16th, and I hate giving the year because I have to tell you my age. And I was six years old, 1977, and I had a commercial chauffeur license. Um, <laughs> and some of you are so confused right now. But it was July 16th, it was a Saturday, and, and I get back, and there was people praying for me. I, it was in a small community. Everybody pretty much knew that I was really lost. And so there were people who wanted to see me get saved, and it wasn't, I wasn't going to be you know, a badge for them. It was just they saw I was in bad shape. And so when I got back, a friend of mine called and said, you know, would you go to church with me? I'm, it, they were lost too, and, but this person had been hounding us to go. And so I said, well, sure, I'll go, you know, and I go to church, and I, you know, like I said, a few weeks ago, I looked like Peter Frampton. I had curly hair. That's back when I had hair. And, uh, you know, I, so I walk into church. And, of course, everybody, back in that day, if, if you're my age, uh, if you had long hair and holy jeans, you, you're going to hell. Well, nowadays, that means you're going to heaven. 
You know, I mean, everybody wears holy jeans to church and has tattoos and long hair and all that stuff. But back in that day, man, if you had a tattoo and long hair, you weren't just going to hell. You were going to double hell. And, and so when I walked into the church, I mean, I think everybody waited for the ceiling to collapse. And because these people have been praying for me, this is my mother's church, but she was still in Montana. She wasn't even there. So they knew who I was. So when I walked in and I, I gave my life to Jesus, and, and it, was a, it was a dramatic turning point for me, July 17, 1977. Wow. That just sounds old. I hate these new digital things when you're filling out something and, and you have to, I have to scroll and find 1956. It's like, why? We deserve to have 1956 at the top. You punks with 2000, you know, like, what kid at 2000 is born in 2022 that's going to do that? Why is 2022 on the top? Nobody's born in 2022 on an iPhone. You know, you know that's not happening. Old people ought to be at the top. Not, not 2022, 2020. Y'all have plenty of time to look. You're still not old yet. It takes me another six months to get down to 56. And so, anyway, so I get born again, and I don't know anything about God or the Bible. I could just tell there was a burden lifted off of me. I'm like saved. It was so cool. It was one. If you never had that experience, and I think Peter, I'm thinking about Peter and his experience with Jesus, and and, and Peter got it so much so that when they threatened him as a follower of Jesus, he asked to be crucified upside down instead of right side up because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And so for me, I get born again. Now all of a sudden, I start having problems. Have you ever? Some of y'all remember this. You got born again, and immediately it was like all hell broke loose. I thought when I got saved, Jesus was like, uh-uh, devil, mm-mm, hands off. I thought, you know, I thought I was going to be all right. No, all of a sudden, things started happening, and I'm, I'm thinking, I gave my life to Jesus. Why is this going on? And I had been injured uh, playing football, and uh, so much so that, that I, I knew I was really hurt bad. But back in the day, if you went off the field, it wasn't like today, man. There was no protection. You're like, get back out there. But coach, have my arms hanging out. Get some duct tape. There were no you know, concussion protocols. There were nothing. You just like tape them up and play. And I knew if I didn't go back out, my mother would make me quit. So I, I, I kept on. And, and so here I am years later, three or four years later, I get born again. I think everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be all right. And, and all of a sudden I'm driving down the road and my arms are going numb. My hands are going numb. I can't feel anything. You know, that feeling, I, I don't know what they call it. Medical term was, but my mother said, your arms are falling asleep but they are not falling asleep at the right time. They're not falling asleep with the rest of my body. They're falling asleep while I'm driving. And so it kind of freaked me out, and I thought I'd be all right, shake it off, and it kept happening. So I finally went to see a doctor. They did x-rays, and they said, you know, I don't know what to tell you other than you've suffered a, a really difficult hit at some point. You have calcium deposits growing on your spine, which is restricting blood flow to your arms. Well, I thought, well, that's good news, so what do we do about it? He said, we cut your neck open, and we scrape your spine. I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm not into this right now. You know, I'm just newly born again. I don't know anything. I'm just thinking, okay, I've heard that Jesus does things today that he did back then. I'm thinking, I'm dialing his digits. And I didn't know how to pray. I just said, Jesus, look, I don't, I don't want to look like Frankenstein in cut on my neck and then scrape my spine so I, I, and here's the response now you got to understand for those of you who say I don't believe God talks today I'm not saying audibly but in your heart of hearts you have thoughts and they come from somewhere 
and you sometimes can't figure it out. I knew where this was coming from. He said, if you will just simply worship me, lift your hands and praise me, I will heal you. Well, listen, John Wayne was my uncle. Not literally. But the Duke was a man's man. I grew up in the country. I grew up lower middle class. We were so Poe. Poe people called us Poe. And so I, I grew up, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to lift my hand. I just want to go to heaven, God. Let's not get all funky Pentecostal here. You know, I would have made a heck of a Baptist. But no, my mother had to be Pentecostal. Pentecostal people freak you out. Not nowadays, but back in the day. Man, you, I mean, I'm going to tell you, they did a thing called the Jericho March. They'd run around the building. You're like, oh, God. If you're new to the church, this is your last time there. You know, you're getting dizzy watching the people. And so, but, so I, I get this voice of, of, you know, lift your hands. I'm oh, man, come on, God. Can we do this another way? Any of you ever negotiate with God? Yeah. So I'm negotiating with God. I'm thinking, God, come on, really, man? I don't want to lift my hands. You know, church is eight, 900 people. And, and so... Anyway, I thought, well, I don't want surgery either. Ever been to one of those places where, like, neither option seems real good? <laughs> I didn't want to get cut on, but I'm thinking, don't want to lift my hands. But I thought, okay, I'll give this a shot. So I go here. I worship you. And it's like God saying, mm-mm. He's like, you know what? Your arms are numb too, so for me to heal your hands, I'd have to heal your arms, so I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> A little higher. Mm -mm. So finally, I thought, okay, I'm going to go for it, because I'm thinking everybody's watching, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's funny to me that on Saturdays this time of year, you got metabolism-challenged people in sub-zero weather painting O's on their belly and cheering a football team on. And they ain't even Pentecostal. They just don't care. <laughs> and some of them need to go, like, really care. And so I'm thinking, okay, these people can holler at a dead pig going up and down property. Surely I can lift my hands. So I... Lift my hands. It was a turning point for me. I, I remember I just get saved, and I lift my hands, and I'm telling you all, a miracle happened. To this day, here we are over 40 years later. I hate this year thing going on, but I got to do this to make it work. See what I'm saying? It's true. So over 40 years later, I've never had surgery, and every now and then, every now and then, my arm will go numb or something, and the, it's like the devil going, it didn't work. And I go, yes, it did. Glory. But see, sometimes what happens is God so loves us that he wants us to have moments in time, experiences with him. And somebody can say, God doesn't do miracles today. Your God might not, but mine does. And you can serve whatever you want. I believe he does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did back then, he'll do today. And, and so you, you, what happens is religious people start asking the questions, well, why did Bob die? Because we're all going to die. Nobody gets out of this alive. And we just don't know when. And, and so if I die at 90, you think, well, that's a good time to die. I don't know. What, what's a good time to die? Who gets to say? I mean, I, I want to run my credit cards up and then die. 
Wouldn't that be cool if you knew that you didn't have to pay that sucker? Bye-bye. Or go buy a Ferrari. Anyway, so second turning point is the demon-possessed. I won't spend much time here, but let me tell you something. When you've had an experience with God, it's a turning point in your life that says, I am submitted to the, the process. I am I'm submitted to maturing. I'm never going to become so mature that I no longer include God when I get sick. You know, I've been around people say, you know, I've tried everything. You know, can I pray for you? I've tried everything else. Pray for me. Look, pray before you try Excedrin. I got a tummy ache. God cares about your tummy ache. You all look like a cow at a new gate. <laughs> if you're not from the country, you don't get that. It's like, how did we get here? Mur. Cows are dumb. All right, so I'm not saying y'all are dumb. See, I'm going to be misunderstood grossly today. So here we are. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to move right along. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So when, when something like that happens, see, I can say, people say, how do you know there's a God? Well, I, I can give you a lot of reasons I know there's a God. First, I made him Lord of my life before he did anything for me, and I did it because I didn't want to go to hell. And, you know, it wasn't like I had this revelation of all the great things God could do with me and through me on this earth, but I just thought I don't want to go to hell, which is really a good reason to accept him. That's, that's nothing wrong with that, but, but what you don't know, when Jesus said, pray be it done on earth as it is in heaven, he said, you can have a little heaven on earth if you just believe and, and, and you say, God, I believe. I believe. I believe. The, 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 the guy with the son that was going in the fire and out of the fire, and he asked Jesus, said, forgive me for my unbelief. There are times that our believer is broken, and we need to get our believer fixed, and you do that by declaring, I am not going to go under. I'm going over. I'm not letting my mountain stand between me and my destiny. I'm going to speak to the mountain, say, move from here to there, and it will move. That's what Jesus said. So we have to remember that words are critical, and so experiences come from God. Listen to this, Luke 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, the disciples, and also, listen to this, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Now, back in the day, women were not included. You have to understand, there's a big statement here in red. And some women, because women didn't follow. Women stayed home. I thank God that we understand today that we're all created in the image and likeness of God, and men are not better than women, and women aren't better than men. We are all created in his image and likeness. But in this day, women were put down. They weren't respected. And, and so when it says some women, that was a big deal. One woman, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. That's a lot of occupancy right there. I'm telling you, that's a lot of spirits. And jo Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Why? Because they had experienced God. And the power of the Holy Spirit overcame the seven spirits that were in this woman. And let me tell you, you'll never be the same when you have an encounter with God. Rather than complaining... They just stepped up, and it says in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Guess who he's talking to? Mary Magdalene. Guess what? The 12 disciples were hiding. This woman said, I will never deny. I will never hide. I won't be dismissed. I'm going to go to the tomb and see if Jesus is there. 
He had done so much. She had had such an experience. And this is where it's so important for us to understand that I don't want Jesus, I don't want to just know him by name. I don't want to just call him the son of God. I want to call him the Lord of my life. I want him to be involved and included in every situation. 25.2% of you are thrilled with that thought. And it's, it goes, and, and so she's there, and Jesus looks and says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Some people thought that was because he had now been glorified, that he didn't want her to touch him. She's human. He's totally God, always has been. But the reality is, she had her focus just on him, and he said, As you have seen me risen, here's what I want you to do now. Go instead, instead of hugging on me and touching me and being right here and, and celebrating, I want you to go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Now, these are burly fishermen, but you have one little lady who had seven spirits cast out of her, and she was ready to do whatever Jesus said do. We need to be ready to do whatever Jesus says do. And she goes and says, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Listen, I'm not suggesting you put yourself in a hard place or a difficult place for God to have to prove himself. In fact, you probably don't have to. We all encounter times and moments and situations that put us in a position to where we have to believe God. And I'm going to tell you right now, as bad as everybody thinks the world looks, this is just a moment in time because God will not be outdone. Let me tell you, if gas prices go up, you're going to get a raise. You're going to find God. In, you're going to find the miracles you need. But don't say, I don't know what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do. We're going to lean on Jesus harder than we've ever leaned on Jesus. When you go to the pump, just look weird. Just go up there, get a Red Bull, and say, thank you, Jesus. Fuel is running into my vehicle. <laughs> Somebody might actually come and pay for your tank of gas. He's hurting. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody take care of this business. The third person is the defiant person. This is the person that just refuses. Now, I'm going to tell this story, and I hope it doesn't offend any of my relatives, but <laughs> Jesus was the rock of offense, so I'm probably in good company here. But I, I grew up in a large family. My, my dad had 12 in his family. My mother had seven. I had more cousins than anybody would ever want to have in a lifetime. And so my mother would share Jesus with all of her siblings' spouses, and she was the only one that was going to church, born again. And one by one, her sisters started believing. They started going to church. She started sharing with their male, because she had, uh, she had uh, three, three sisters and a brother, so five kids, mom and dad, seven in the family. So my one uncle was just resistant, defiant, was not ever going to accept Jesus. And all of my other uncles, she had led everybody to the Lord but one, and he was just defiant. He just, he would get mad when she'd bring up Jesus or praise Jesus. My mother was notorious for messing up a party. I mean, she wasn't leaving Jesus out of anything, man. It didn't matter what was going on. She'd say, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He'd bristle. You know, you get around people like that. And so sometimes it's just fun to go up to people and go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They're like the demon-possessed woman, you know. 
but my uncle went and he started walking every day at this park and uh because they were they were really getting older and he was trying to get healthy and and uh so while he was walking one Saturday morning, uh, he collapsed, and, and uh, there were other walkers where a lot of old people walked, you know, the people that are 90 and 100. Um, <laughs> that's old, you know. Right now, I'm not old. I'm getting older, but anyway. So he collapsed, and, and, and these, these people run to him, and they, he said these words, I believe. Those were his last dying words. And I believe he gave his life to Jesus. Now, if you're religious, you hate that because it was his dying moment. I don't care when you do it. Just do it. I do care. I would love for you to live your life under the blessing of God. But if you can't, at least accept him. I did a funeral for a guy who gave his life uh, to, to Jesus uh, in, in an ambulance. He, he was shot in a bar fight. And I knew his aunt. She said, would you do his funeral? I said, well, yeah. I always interviewed the family. What, what was he like? I didn't know him. She said, well, here's, they told me the story. And they said, and in the ambulance, he prayed with the paramedic and gave his life to Jesus. So I go to do this funeral and it's filled with bikers. It's, it's, in a, it's not in a church. It was in some building and it was just full. It was like, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes the world sticks closer together than church people. And uh, I hate to say that, but it just is what it is. Sometimes, somehow we get self-righteous or something. But all these people, they just love this guy. And so I stand up and I preach and I talk about uh, he, he, him giving his life to Jesus right before he died. Guess who? All the bikers love me. But it, there were some Christian people that I got nasty letters from. And I was fairly immature at the time I did the funeral. So my response wasn't real godly. <laughs> You know, I'm like, how dare you? I mean, we're celebrating a guy that's going to heaven in his last breath. This is his last moment, and we're so thankful that he's not going to hell. And you're telling me I should have preached hellfire and brimstone? I don't have any brimstone, and I'm out of fire. The wrong kind of fire. But see, And so, yeah, sometimes people are defiant, but you never stop loving the defiant. God didn't. The apostle Paul was persecuting the church. It was called the way. He was persecuting the church. He was there when they were stoning Stephen and killing him. And Paul's holding his coats and giving, holding their coats and giving full support. And, and Jesus says, you know what, Paul, I love you. And on the road to Damascus, this flash of light hits. And, and Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You can be as defiant as you want to be, and Jesus will follow you on that Damascus road just like he did Paul. He is not going to leave you, so you might as well just bow to him because he's going to stay on you like white on rice. My mother just kept praying for me. I was defiant. I, I was probably borderline possessed. I was denying everything. I was a, I tell you, I think heaven had a standing ovation when I got born. I can't believe Mark Crow's born again. And everybody in the community couldn't believe it either. They were like, wow, there may be a God. I terrorized the streets, raced and all that stuff. And, I, and so when I got born again, it was just a really cool time. But I was probably all those things. And the last one, and I'll close with this, are the dismissed. And this is a really precious one because oftentimes we find ourselves having made decisions. And some of you all who are young, you'll get this. But when you get older, the more time you live, the more opportunity you have to be stupid. And sometimes, sometimes it, just, it gets that way. And I, I'm not proud of it. But I, what I've learned is yeah, there are moments in time. And, and those moments and decisions oftentimes have greater impact on, on what happens here. But you can never be separated from the love of God. 
You know, there may be people who separate you from them and they don't want anything to do with you anymore. But let me tell you something. God will squeeze you tighter when they remove you further. Because God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And when I think about this story of the woman at the well, what we don't understand when we read the gospel sometimes is the cultural format of that day. And what happened is this lady was a mess. You've, if you've ever been in church, the Bible says Jesus is at, this, at the well. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He sends his disciples to go get some food. He knew what was coming, so he had to get rid of a bunch of religious guys that were knuckleheads half the time. Now, thank God they're disciples, and you think I'm being mean. I'm not. I like who Jesus picked, but I also like what he did when he picked them. He said, go get some food. He knew this woman was coming to the well, and most of us say, well, what's so big about that? Well, the well that she went to was the fifth well furthest out of town, and the reason she did, because all the other women, and the women were the ones that fetched the water in that day how many of y'all know women have a a a deeper sense of conversing than men (laughs) it's as politely as i can say it women are far more intuitive and 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 far more vulnerable men are like rocks And, and so these women would go to the well to draw water and of course they would go to the closest well first because they wouldn't have to carry water that far so when they it was full that the next group would go to the second well the third well well, when Jesus is at the fifth well, there's not another woman there. There's not another person there because nobody's coming to the fifth well to draw water. But Jesus knew this woman was coming. Let me tell you, Jesus knows where you're going to be tomorrow. <laughs> now, some of y'all are going, I think I better change my plans. <laughs> oh, that was the 930 crowd. Yeah, they come in and get out and go home. Jesus knows where I'm going to be tomorrow. And so Jesus is waiting at the well. The woman shows up. There's nobody there but him. And this was not acceptable in that day. She's coming to draw water. And Jesus tells her, you know, you can have water that, you know, never fails. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. This woman had been dismissed by all the other women. I mean, it was like a soap opera, days of your lives. She had to go to the fifth well. She couldn't go to the other wells because they were shaming her, dismissing her, distancing themselves from her. But let me tell you something. When everybody else dismisses you, Jesus invites you. He was waiting on this woman to show back up. The disciples were shocked when they saw him talking to her. But it says that she went back into town. And all the people came out of the town and made their way toward him. People can try to dismiss you all they want. But when you got Jesus, he will bring people to you. And he will never dismiss you. Ever. If she could have been married 10 times and shacking up with number 11. I apologize. Not really. We've got to understand the language of our day, that's what it would be. And now the guy you're with is not even your husband. But Jesus says, I care so much more about you than the five knuckleheads that dismissed you that I will not dismiss you. I'm here to give you water that's everlasting. Never stop maturing. 
never get spiritual paralysis. And that's what happens. People live in denial. People are influenced by the powers of darkness. People are defiant. By nature, we feel dismissed. And, and you know, I, I didn't come back to Oklahoma City because I was defiant. I came back because I was obedient. And there were people who dismissed me and still dismissed me. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. And, and I even understand it. But what I understand more is that each and every one of us has a story. Some of yours didn't make it where my story made it. And, and that's good. That's okay. I'm proud of you and I'm glad. But the reality is, in my mind, I never wanted to come back here. I never wanted to be in this city again. I had already, I had already said, Jesus, just you and I, we'll live on an island together. And that's what I was doing. It was absolutely awesome. Because I just had to talk to dolphins. Just kidding. But I did live on an island. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. You know, because you think to yourself, whatever you've done, is more than God can overcome. I've got good news for you. What you've done, Jesus already overcame. And now you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. People can try to dismiss you all they want, but I'll tell you the day will come when this auditorium will be full multiple times because God will show the world he doesn't dismiss people. Everybody's had their moment of stupid. Some of it made it public and some didn't. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not ashamed of one thing. I'm proud of my Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of my life, has been the Lord of my life. But, you know, I took control for a while, and I had to yell at Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I've run this thing into an embankment, you know. So <laughs> I'm not in denial. I know. You know what I'm saying. So the reality, folks, is keep on maturing. Keep on maturing. Keep on growing. Don't dismiss yourself. Don't be defiant. Look, anymore, it's so wonderful to have an encounter with God that causes you to go, Jesus, look, I, I, every time I get my hands on something, I mess it up. So I'm just going to put your hands on it, all right? I'm just going to put your hands on it. So just let Jesus take your wheel, all right? There's a song out there somewhere. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're awesome, God. We are so grateful for your patience for your mercy, for your grace, for your agape. We are so grateful, God, that, that nothing is impossible with you. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that this week and in the weeks and months and years to come, our words would align themselves with your word. That, Lord, when something's going bad and it looks really bad, we'll say, you know what? What the devil meant for harm, God, you're turning for good. And, and just, Lord, we're just going to declare your word over our lives and our future, our family our situations with every head bowed every eye closed I want to ask you to pray a prayer with me every one of you watching online everyone in here say Father God thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin Jesus thank you for giving your life for me today I give my life to you I repent of my sin and I declare today I belong to you amen if you prayed that prayer I want to ask you those of you watching online Text the word SAVED, 405-500-1310. And uh, just do it for your sake to, to make that step of, of commitment and not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very, very, very important that you do that. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.